Hey, Stokers, welcome to Bath and Body Parts. Today, we continue with part two of Rich Man Walking, the murders of Andrea Wilborn and Stan Farr. Last time, you heard about Cullen Davis and his relationship with Priscilla Davis. When their marriage dissolved, things got ugly, and it wasn't long before Priscilla Davis was attacked in her home, along with her boyfriend and daughter, both of whom were murdered. Priscilla and two other eyewitnesses told the police that they had seen the killer, Cullen. When we left off, the police had just proceeded with charging Cullen for capital murder of Andrea Wilburn. It was time to prepare for the trial. a substantial legal team. Phil Burleson, who was known for being ruthless and had been on Jack Ruby's defense team and racehorse Haynes. This is how you know this is a Texas case when the lawyer's name is racehorse. (laughs) Now, racehorse Haynes was very much the quick-talking, smarmy kind of lawyer. He had a way of getting into the minds of the jury and making them doubt the evidence. He would bombard the jury with tons of different possibilities until they doubted what they heard from the prosecution. Now, fun fact, his mentor was Percy Foreman, who was Mel's lawyer in the Jack Mossler case that we recently covered. So there's a little connection for you. I thought that was very interesting. Now, Cullen's lawyers wanted to petition to move the case outside of Fort Worth, but Cullen didn't want them to. Judge Cave was going to oversee the case. They started the jury selection and needed to sequester the jury. Eight weeks in, it came out that one of the jurors who had requested to leave the sequester to visit her ill father had made several calls discussing the case. Which, come on, girl. Like, (sighs) you can't do that. So the judge had no choice but to declare a mistrial. Oh, this is so, so frustrating. Frustrating. And can you imagine being one of the other jury members? Like they've been sequestered oh my for God. eight weeks for nothing. You know? Oh my gosh. Ugh. So they, of course, had to go ahead and start preparing for a new trial. And while they were preparing for this new trial, Cullen's lawyers petitioned for a new bond hearing based on new evidence. And this new evidence was super shocking. They brought forth an affidavit by David McCrory. Now, David McCrory is a very important part of this case. He was actually one of the friends Priscilla had been out celebrating with the night of the murder. Mm -hmm. And he was very involved with the family. And in this affidavit, McCrory talks all about Ruffner and Priscilla and their sort of like sex and drug-filled life. And he actually said that they were running a drug trafficking ring outside of the house. And that Ruffner was very violent toward Priscilla. And it talks about all this escalating tension that they had and how Ruffner had actually threatened to kill Priscilla on multiple occasions. Now, it also said that the night of the murder, he went to visit Priscilla in her hospital room and was talking to her, basically just assuming that this was all tied in to all of that. Mm -hmm. And she told him that if he just kept his mouth shut about all of that, she would end up getting a lot of money and could 
give him money and she had a lot of power that she could share with him. Mm. And then after he visited her, he apparently also saw Bev Bass, who told him that she didn't even know who the killer was, but that Priscilla told her it was Cullen. And then he saw Bev and Bubba in the hospital room getting their story straight. Hmm. So all of that was obviously extremely shocking and would have changed the game. Yep. But there were two big problems here. First, they had forgotten to have McRory sign it. And the morning that they were going to submit it, they suddenly couldn't find him. So they decided to submit it to the judge unsigned. Hmm. But the other big problem is that the reason that they couldn't find him is because he was actually with the prosecution at that moment, giving them completely opposing testimony that countered Ugh. every single line <laughs> of that affidavit. <laughs> David McGrory, man. David McGrory. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> Cave like flipped out the judge and he held Cullen's lawyers in contempt. And McGrory would later allege that they had actually offered him money to lie. Mm. But come on, bro. That never becomes official. Like they're never charged with that, but very shady. Yeah. So after this, Cave is kind of over this altogether. He feels like between the sequestering, the jury for eight weeks, and then that falling apart and him having yeah. to declare the mistrial, and now there's all of this going on with conflicting witness statements. He's just like, you know what? This is a mess, and I don't even want to be involved. And Yes, no, I get totally, it. Totally, totally. <laughs> and he felt like there's no way that holding this trial in Fort Worth even made any sense. And at this point, everybody knows about this case. Right. So right. he started trying to figure out where he could move it and eventually settled on Amarillo to be tried under Judge Dowlin. And I do want to point out, because this is important, they opted to go for the death penalty in this trial. They're going to move forward with a new trial. They're going to go for the death penalty. All right. And this is going to be in a new area with a new judge. In Amarillo. I went to college not far from yes. there. And Amarillo, man. And actually, Woo! I do think that it is, it, it's important to point out some stuff about Amarillo because it's very much more conservative. It's very, very, very conservative. Um, yeah. Lubbock and Amarillo are small towns that, ha like, Lubbock has a big population because of the school. Yeah. But... Aside from the university, if you took that out, they're small, isolated cities. Yeah. They're only near each other. You have to drive quite a bit of ways um, to get to anywhere else. When I moved to DFW, it was like very shocking that everything is so vast mm -hmm. and you can, all these cities are connected and everything. It is not like that in the panhandle. Right. And, you know, it's Bible Belt country, it's oil country, it's cattle country, and it is way different from the Metroplex. <laughs> way different. <Yes>. Way, way, <laughs> way different. And I can't even imagine what it was like back in the 70s yeah. because it's still pretty conservative now in 2021. Exactly. So this case was going to be a big ordeal. The papers were already smearing Priscilla before the trial even started. And racehorse Haynes promised the media that they would reveal the name of the true killer in the trial. 
Yeah. Come on, racehorse. There was a lot. And the papers were kind of going wild. Like we said, Amarillo is a very conservative area. They snapped pictures of Priscilla walking, holding a Bible in her hand with like a cross Mm -hmm. necklace. And they just, people hated it. They felt like she was so fake. (sighs) And they really, really, really didn't like her. It was unfair to her for sure. From the start, there were multiple death threats sent in, including a bullet addressed to the judge. And like that to me like sums up Panhandle, Texas. <laughs> like, like I have fond memories of my time there, but holy crap, if you're gonna send a bullet, you're gonna do it there. <laughs> So Dallin granted a bond of $1,650,000 and Colin was out again. And on the evening before the trial, Colin and Priscilla actually ended up staying at the same hotel. Um, (laughs) Amarillo is small, but there's like more than one hotel. There has to be more than one. (laughs) That is... So not good at all. So ridiculous to me. Like, so not good. Y'all could not just get a Motel 6 (laughs) for like one of these people. Like, what in the world? In the trial, the defense's strategy was basically twofold. Number one, make Priscilla look completely unreliable. And number two, present enough alternative theories to confuse the jury and make them doubt the prosecution's case. And when it was Priscilla's turn to testify, she actually did a really remarkable job when being questioned by the state. She held very firmly to her story. She gave all the details and she was passionate and believable. But racehorse Haynes was determined to destroy her on the stand. First, he started out asking her if she had heard a random list of names, including W.T. Ruffner and Horace Copeland. These would end up being the two names that he would use to try and drive a wedge between her and the jury. And Racehorse Haynes was up to some shady, no good stuff. So he really wanted to introduce this particular photograph of Priscilla with Ruffner. And in the photograph, Ruffner is naked, except he has like a candy cane stocking over his genitals. (laughs) Um, and really, the judge denied that it could be entered into evidence. And obviously, well, because like, they live in Amarillo, they, they can't, can't be seeing that. any candy cane dicks. Right. And <laughs> like, there's not really any reason to introduce this into evidence no, except to all. be inflammatory. Yep. So, you know, he was told no. And instead, he was like, well, I'll just show it to her to ask her questions. But if the jury doesn't see it, I don't have to submit it into evidence. So he blew up a giant poster of it and (laughs) positioned it basically in front of fluorescent lighting so that it made it completely see-through and the jury totally saw it. Oh my gosh. Racehorse Haynes, why are you blowing this up into a poster? I feel like he had copies made. I feel like he wanted one. Racehorse is like whatever it takes to win kind of a guy. Yes. And so obviously the jury is kind of like freaking out about seeing this and the judge is not happy that this happened, but it is what it is. Racehorse insinuated that Priscilla's affair with Ruffner began while she was still 
with Cullen before they'd separated. And he asked her about drugs and whether Ruffner was ever violent with her. And she said they didn't do drugs. And sure. she said that Ruffner was never violent with her. And that sort of discrepancy on when they started their affair was going to be a really big deal in the case. I don't think that it's fair that it was made a big deal, but it really did become a big point of contention. But overall, the prosecution thought Priscilla had held up pretty well besides those possible discrepancies. They really weren't sure if information might come out later. And, you know, they weren't sure if Priscilla had been forthcoming with them about it. So they were a little nervous, but they were like, okay, this could have been worse, could have been worse. But the public did not agree. Again, they just hated Priscilla, absolutely hated her. And, you know, it's a bunch of these like Amarillo timid housewives and they're reading the papers and just looking at Priscilla as a promiscuous attention seeker. They didn't believe a word she said, basically. And they supported Cullen 100%. And in fact, he had like a long stream of women come visit him in prison. They would like bring him baked goods. No. And then this is so, so gross to me. A bunch of them had him autograph the book Blood and Money, which is a book about a completely separate case Uh about the murder of Joan Hill, a Houston socialite who was murdered by her husband. So they're bringing this book to get his signature. Yes! What the... What? It is so creepy to me. (laughs) Please sign this book about another husband that Uh, murdered his wife. I I don't. Um, It's a lot. It's a lot. Come on, people. No. Get it together. Okay. No, Amarillo <laughs> no. Housewives. Just no. No. Don't. No. And Racehorse pretty much spent the rest of the trial primarily focused on smearing Priscilla. He brought in a lot of witnesses about her drug use, sex life, parties. And yeah, I mean... <laughs> It was basically just a smear campaign against her. And honestly, none of these witnesses had anything to do with the case. And I just find it, I found it absolutely ridiculous that it was allowed. Just a character assassination. Yeah. And of course, Priscilla was not the only eyewitness. So they also brought in Bubba and Bev. And they were both strong witnesses, especially Bev. But Racehorse wasn't going to let them get off scot-free either. No. So he brought in a witness who was actually Bubba's ambulance driver the night of the murder that said that that night, like right when he got in the ambulance, Bubba was like kind of out of it. And he was coherent enough, though, to give him a bag of marijuana to the ambulance driver and ask him to dispose of it. Oh, And Racehorse also uncovered that Bev had had an abortion when she was 16 and Priscilla had helped her pay for it. And again, this information does not belong in this trial whatsoever. In the 1970s Amarillo, if you're talking about Mary Hoo Hoo and abortions, then you're like, you've done it. You've done the worst crime. Don't even worry about the people who actually died. The marijuana and the abortion is enough. (laughs) That is is it. If you live in Amarillo, don't come for us, okay? Like, we don't. (laughs) But if you live in Amarillo and you're listening to the show, I'm guessing you already know. Right. You know that we're right. (laughs) Take a long, hard look at yourself. (laughs) 
So Racehorse also decided to try to pin the murder on Horace Copeland, who was the other owner of the cowboy club that had threatened Stan. Now, he had actually been killed before the trial, so he was the perfect scapegoat for the defense. And they brought in a secret girlfriend of Stan's who said that Stan was nervous the day of the murder. And on top of that, there were timeline issues due to the fact that many of the witnesses didn't have watches. So the timeline was off as much as 30 minutes. And the defense brought in witnesses to say that Cullen's car was in the garage all night long. And witnesses said that a late model car that didn't match Cullen's was seen leaving the mansion that night. Now, the witness insisted that this happened at 1235, but based on his testimony of seeing this after a movie on TV ended, it would have been later after the police had already arrived. So Karen also supplied an alibi for Colin, saying that she had definitely seen Colin at 1240 in the morning in bed at home. And another witness, Ewayne Polk, was a plant salesman, and he testified that he had snuck into the mansion that night and was scared off by someone in black that definitely wasn't Colin. The state produced a witness, his wife, that said he was lying about the date and that that had happened days before the murder. And I do want to dig into this a little bit because I find this story absolutely ridiculous. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. his story is that he... He broke in. He's breaking into the house because he wanted to take back plants yeah. that Priscilla hadn't paid for. But I'm like, how are you going to take ain't. the plants? Like, <laughs> there were like a dozen plants. <laughs> like, what? What? You didn't have his little cart with him? <laughs> what were you going to do? And why are you breaking in in the middle of the night to do this? Like, you ain't. Wayne is suspicious. Wayne, <laughs> come on, man. There's so many people in this case that just some special people. So the defense insinuated that Bev and Bubba and Priscilla were conspiring to frame Colin. And all in all, the trial was a little bit of a mess between the conflicting stories. You know, the defense bringing in Ewayne Polk and then <laughs> yeah. the state having to bring someone to discredit him. It's, it's a lot of just like discrediting people's statements. Yeah. So it was kind of a mess. It was a very long trial. And then also at one point, W.T. <laughs> Ruffner shows up in the gallery selling T-shirts of the poster <laughs> of him with just the candy cane <laughs> on his junk. You know, you know. <laughs> For a hundred dollars. Uh, <laughs> I can't even. <laughs> I was gonna say, you know, if a picture, if a picture of me had been leaked and I wasn't happy about it and I there was no getting it back, maybe I would try to make a profit. <laughs> um, probably not sell my t-shirt at the trial (laughs) like come to the merch store at the trial and then like it makes it really funny to me because W.T. (laughs) Ruffner like have you ever seen the musical Hair no no I haven't it's like a hippie like anti-Vietnam musical sure it's 
super inappropriate. Like there's a lot of songs that have words that we would not use now and things. Uh, Sure. sure. To me, like he looks like he's just plucked out of that movie. So (laughs) I don't, I just can't with him. Like low key, I am interested in what these shirts look like. (laughs) (laughs) And like, are we talking like a really soft shirt? Cause I could use (laughs) (laughs) Can we get them now? (laughs) Can we get these candy cane schlong shirts please so after this ridiculously long trial with all kinds of spectacles going on and all kinds of conflicting information coming out and just one hot mess after another and again the jury has just been bombarded with different theories and they're like centering in on this horse copeland thing But they've brought in all of these people to talk about Priscilla's personal life. And all this stuff has happened. Really long trial. The defense just assumes that the state is going to call Priscilla back as a rebuttal witness. And it really only makes sense that they would. Right, right. You know, she's had all these people say all these things about her. And she can come in and, and clear that up or deny it. And on top of that, it's been a really, really long time since the jury has even heard her story. Right. And her story is like the crux of the case, right? But for some reason, the state decided not to bring her back. And I think that they were just so concerned that people just really didn't like her. And they assumed that the jury probably felt the same way. And they just felt like there was nothing good to come from it. But... I can't believe they didn't bring her back. Yeah. No, no. Oh, man. And that wasn't really the only misstep they made. They also chose throughout the entire course of the trial to not really focus at all on Andrea. And this is her murder trial. Yeah. yeah. And she almost becomes like a footnote in this trial. Right. And they didn't really focus on the emotional aspect of her murder at all all she was hardly mentioned they don't spend a lot of time talking to priscilla about her not at least about her life or about yeah who she was who she was Nothing. and they, they didn't bring jack her father onto the stand even though he was there who's ready to get up and talk about her and how afraid she was of cullen and they just chose not to yeah. bring her up. Ugh. Now, they do kind of correct that a little bit. One of the prosecutors, Joe Shannon, in his closing arguments does talk a lot about Andrea. And he did hit all the right points. And in fact, his closing statement was really good. He pointed out how absurd and wild all the defense's theories were and everything. But I almost feel like at that point, it was too little too late. Like, they really should yeah. have had... If they're gonna like, they should have had that the whole yeah, time. And if they're going to allow all these witnesses to come in and just tarnish Priscilla, the least that they could have done is bring in some witnesses to talk about Andrea. Right, right. Get that emotional <laughs> exactly. part. Like, get back to the the story at hand of this murder of a twelve year old girl. Yeah. Like, at the end of the day, she was twelve. She was a child. She was murdered. Yeah. In her home. It's so sad. And it's just like, you don't even really get that from the trial. Yeah. And in the defense's closing statements, they just reiterated that Priscilla was unreliable, that she was lying, she was conspiring. They, I guess their story was that Horace had done this and then Priscilla just took the opportunity to lie about it, to pin it on Cullen. Yeah. Obviously, they were not insinuating that Priscilla was involved in the murder of her own daughter, but that she like took advantage of this opportunity to Mm. try and pin it on Cullen. And they really did reemphasize the timeline problems. And now 
I just want to point out that this trial had ended up being the longest jury sequester in history at the time. Wow. Yeah. And after the trial, the media was kind of split on like who had won the case or who had done really good. But the judge was overheard saying that he predicted it would be a short deliberation with a verdict of not guilty. And at 2.38 p.m., after just four hours, the jury came back with their verdict of not guilty. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think it's important to point out that there wasn't really a lot of of physical evidence or really any physical evidence tying Cullen to the case. And so, you know, you're like, okay, okay, I guess I can kind of see it. Uh, But later when jurors were interviewed, they really told reporters that they just didn't believe Priscilla. And that was really the deciding factor. But they said that they did believe Bev Bass. Like they thought she was reliable, which I'm like, she said that it was the same thing. (laughs) She said that she saw Colin. One of (laughs) the jurors came up with this idea on his own that like, say they're running away and they're both running away at the same time. And Bev heard Priscilla call out that it was Cullen that like implanted into her mind Um. and somehow altered her memory of it. Hmm. But like this was just something he came up with completely on his own. (laughs) Right. Now, there had been two long-standing holdouts for guilty, but they both said that the time discrepancies and the car witnesses were like, the biggest factors as to why they ultimately flipped. And I'm like, time discrepancies? Like, we're not talking about... There were time discrepancies. You can't get around yeah, it. Yeah, but yeah, they were not yeah. huge. It was like, right. did this person call the police at 1220 or at 1240? You know, it was like that kind of thing. Right, right. And so it was just it's a little bit crushing. But <sighs> the really, really, really bad part of this, aftermath of this, And I can't really wrap my mind around this. The law stated, as I said earlier, that Mm -hmm. Cullen couldn't be tried at the same time for like the murder of Stan Farr and the murder of Andrea Wilborn. Mm -hmm. So they took this case forward for Andrea Wilborn. But then it was decided that if they tried to prosecute Cullen for Stan's murder, it would actually fall under double jeopardy because he was being tried for the same crime. And... I'm not like a legal scholar by no. any means, but there's something wrong in there. Okay. Uh, That's I not okay. I'm so confused. I feel like I've been lied to my whole life, my whole crime life. I don't know who made the misstep and I don't know who was wrong there. Somebody messed but up. Whether the law was wrong or somebody was misinterpreting it, something was wrong because that should never have been allowed to happen. No. If you'd like to support the podcast, get access to bonus content and extra mini true crime cases, plus get access to our exclusive Bath and Body Parts bath bombs, we'd love to have you join our Patreon as a soaker, super soaker, or bath bomber. Visit patreon.com slash bath and body parts to learn more. And you know, this could have been the end of the story, but there's actually more to this one because this, you know, this is a bonkers case. So Cullen and Karen went off on a trip to Aspen that they had already booked during the entire process. In 1978, Cullen was named in D Magazine's People to Watch. That's so gross to me. Ew. 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 
Ew. Really? Teen Magazine? People to watch go go away forever? Right. Like that and I never have to see you? Thanks. Ew. And Judge Eidson had granted Karen's ex custody of her kids and said that Cullen wasn't allowed to be around them. And Cullen's feud with the judge was also heating up because the divorce had to go on and Priscilla at this point was going for every penny she could. She was angry and she wanted $96 million. And I do not blame her one bit for trying to do whatever she could do Uh, to make Cullen suffer. Oh my gosh, I would be doing everything. The divorce continued to get nastier and uglier with personal attacks. And eventually, though, Priscilla agreed to drop her settlement request to $20 million, and they both agreed to a, quote, no-fault divorce, where the focus would solely be in property distribution. And then Colin did something weird. He hired David McCrory as an assistant. What? (laughs) And then a big bombshell dropped. Colin Davis was arrested and charged with solicitation of a hitman. McRory had contacted the FBI after Colin hired him and said that Colin asked him to hire a hitman to kill a list of 15 people, including Priscilla, Bev Bass, Bubba Gavril, W.T. Ruffner, Bill Davis, Judge Cave, Judge Eidson, and D. Davis. So McCrory had agreed to work with the FBI. So they set up a sting operation where McCrory started recording their phone conversations. And they agreed in these conversations that they were going to target Judge Eidson first. Cullen set himself up with a solid alibi. He was attending a football game with the pro tem mayor of Fort Worth, Jim Bradshaw. Then McCrory called him and told him that the job had been done And they arranged to meet so that McCrory could give him the evidence. So their taped conversation the next morning involved McCrory telling Cullen, I got Judge Eidson dead for you. And Cullen answered, good. So McCrory handed him an envelope with the judge's driver's license and a picture of the judge's body shoved in the back of a trunk. And he also asked, you want Bev Bass killed next, right? And Cullen kind of stumbled and said, uh... And McCrory prompted him saying, you know, I don't want to make another mistake. Are you sure? To which Cullen replied, yeah. So then Cullen took him to the trunk and gave him a bag full of money. And that is when the FBI moved in and arrested Cullen. So now they had to go back to trial this time for solicitation of a hitman. And between... Andrea's murder trial and this time there had been some turnover at the DA's office and so the prosecutor was going to be 88 Jack Strickland who was new to the case but they felt good because this was their chance to really put Cullen away even though they couldn't get him on the original murders and this time yeah they had him on recording I mean yeah yeah there was no way out of it you know they had him discussing plans money people to kill alibis they set up this whole fake thing with the judge's body and you know right they're right, like right. okay like this is it they use McDonald's ketchup packets <laughs> to look like blood on the judge's body <laughs> Yeah. So they felt like super good about this. And, you know, the trial started and Racetrack Haynes is up to his old usual antics of (sighs) undermining the prosecution's primary witness. And so he just kind of targets McRory saying that he was unreliable. He had like issues with the IRS and he had taken money from Cullen before and... 
He also pointed out that the original FBI agent that McCrory connected with was a former martial arts student of Pat Burleson, who was a friend of Priscilla's. Mm. And, you know, McCrory insisted that he hadn't spoken to Priscilla in over a year, but Racetrack did his best to dispel that or at least make the jury doubt that. He even brought in a witness who claimed to have seen Burleson, Priscilla, and McCrory together shortly before this all went down. Mm. But the state later brought a rebuttal witness that completely discredited that. So again, they're just bringing in witnesses to lie, basically, just like, and they don't even care. Yeah. The defense even brought in a witness who claimed that McCrory had tried to hire him to kill Cullen. And this was, yeah, (laughs) this was later discredited as well because they were able to produce a letter that that witness had written to his wife saying that he was lying and was going to make a ton of money off of his fake story. So again, good vetting, good vetting your fake witnesses there. Yeah, they got no scruples here with the witnesses. They're like, whatever. whatsoever. You off the street? Have you heard of Cullen? (laughs) Yeah, all right. (laughs) You know him. (laughs) And uh, he's innocent. So come, (laughs) tell us the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, come on, come on. Now, there was a big mistake made through this little investigation in terms of evidence. They had put a powder on the photograph of the judge's body that would have shown when they shined a specific light on Cullen's hands, but there was a miscommunication with the officers booking him. And when he got fingerprinted regularly, that officer went and sent him to wash his hands afterward, which washed off any Mm. of the evidence. So that was kind of a big deal. But ultimately, they didn't really necessarily need that. They had the FBI tapes. They had like video and audio. They had McCrory's testimony but, like, the tapes themselves were obviously the yeah. biggest damning piece of evidence. They had, like, tons right. of tape. So the jury's listening to all of these tapes. And there seemed to really be no way to explain all of that away. But Cullen himself actually took to the stand to clear all that up. Hmm. Now, his story was that he had received a call from someone claiming to be an FBI agent saying that there was a plot to kill him or frame him for murder. And the FBI agent told him that he should play along with McCrory's story and that they would record it and use it to like turn the tables on Priscilla and get her. Mm. (laughs) And he also claimed that he had told his attorney friend Herschel Payne about the entire story while it was happening, which he then walked back and said, oh no, I only told Karen, who of course corroborated Mm. his story. Right. And not only does this entire ridiculously half-baked story make no sense, because what would they have even, like, it just, it doesn't make any sense. Like, how would they have even used that to, like, turn the tables on Priscilla? It doesn't make sense at all. But Herschel Payne even took to the stand saying that the only thing that they had ever discussed was Cullen asking him if it was illegal to be talking to someone about hiring someone to kill Priscilla. Oh, my gosh. So this trial went on for 11 weeks. That feels long to me. Yeah, for this kind of trial, for sure. They weren't expecting it to last that long. So the lawyers rested their cases and the jury went to deliberate. And they did ask to hear parts of the transcripts several times. After 25 hours, they were split 8-4 in favor of guilty. After 44 hours, they were still split 8-4 in favor of guilty. Eventually, the jury came back 
unable to reach a verdict, resulting in a mistrial. Oof. Bro? Bro? Who are these four <laughs> people? Who the F are these four people? This one who? blows my mind. Oh. Like, oh. oh. And then, oh, this part. Oh, my gosh. Later, one juror said that the four who refused to budge just couldn't believe that a rich, sophisticated man like Cullen would do this. Oh, my God. I feel like my entire body did an eye roll yes. the first time I saw that. Like, I, oh, oh, I hate it so much. I hate it so, so much. much. And so that was it. Cullen walked free. He and Priscilla eventually finalized their divorce and he married Karen. He did settle civil lawsuits with Stan Farr's family and Bubba Gavril. And he later became a born-again Christian and started a skincare company. And he's still alive in this area. I think he's like in his 90s now, or like upper 80s or early 90s. Ugh, ick. So gross. You know, Priscilla always stuck to her story. And she lived out her life in North Texas without her youngest daughter and with a smeared reputation that the public gave her. And she died of breast cancer when she was 59 years old. And it pisses me off that Priscilla didn't even live to 60. And this guy yep. is freaking like old as balls. <laughs> like Jesus. Oh, it's so I get so mad. So the mansion became a Fort Worth landmark, but it is set to be torn down next year. In January of 2004, a man on death row in Texas, Billy Frank Vickers, confessed to 14 murders, including the murders at the Cullen Mansion, but no evidence supported his story, and he did not provide any details that made the state think that he was actually responsible. So that is yeah, pretty much the, uh, the bulk of it, but let's talk about our thoughts on the case. Oh, <laughs> let's. We have a lot. I do think that in terms of the original trial, the length of the trial played a factor. I think yes. that not bringing Priscilla back to the stand was a huge yeah. mistake. Huge. But my biggest thing that I think is after this case and after the Candace Mosler case, mm -hmm. I really feel like rich people just do have a different justice system. And it's honestly oh, made me, yes. like, I always kind of knew. But once you're actually yeah. reading what these lawyers do. Yeah, yeah. And the links that they go, like, they're just lying. They're just, like, straight up lying. Yeah. And they don't even care. They'll do anything. Yeah. And, like, the big bucks that it takes to hire those sort of lawyers is something that's not even available. Like, I guarantee you if this had been a state-appointed lawyer that's not, that's following the rules yeah. and not bringing in this ridiculous yeah, stuff, this it wouldn't, wouldn't have, have happened. happened. It wouldn't have happened like this. And, I yeah. yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about the fact that the case was relocated to Amarillo. And I know it sounds like I'm just shitting on Amarillo, but, like... It would have also been different, I think, if they had gone somewhere else. I do think picking such a conservative area was a really big yes. deal. I mean, we yeah. saw how the housewives and the public reacted. And there were yeah. housewives on that jury. like Yeah, and they were bringing him books to get his signature. Yeah. I mean, not the jury members were not, but... No, no, no. Yeah. But like the women in, you know, it just... 
I feel like the location was prime for a smear campaign against Priscilla, which the entire trial was. I think what makes me the most mad about this case is that Andrea is lost in it. Yeah. Right? 100%. Never, maybe in the closing arguments, but never throughout the trial, never throughout the news, never throughout the media, is she like the focus? No. It's all the focus of, oh, well, you know, Priscilla is a drugged up sex maniac having orgies in her house, which even if she was. Right. It doesn't even change anything. if she was, it doesn't change anything. She could have been screwing everybody in the house and like it doesn't matter yeah. because it's not about her. Exactly. It should not have been about her. She wasn't on trial, but, but she, she was. was. Exactly. And that and it really that makes me yeah, really mad. That is what I think is really heartbreaking about this one. And like Andrea Wilborn is a name that's lost to history, essentially. Yeah. Unless like you're very familiar yeah. with this case, you know Cullen Davis. Well, I had name. never I was not familiar with this case. I feel like we need to get people talking about this case because it is clear to me that there was a lot of shit. Yeah. Like it was, it was handled badly. It really was. It's, and it's sad. And Andrea, I I don't feel like got justice. Not at all. And that, that makes me mad. You know, that makes yeah. me mad. And I think like the first trial, it was unfortunate. I think that the prosecution could have handled it better. I think the judge could have been harsher on the lawyers mm -hmm. for like running mm -hmm. the show essentially. But ultimately when there's only eyewitness testimony, yeah. I guess I can kind of possibly, possibly wrap sure. my mind around sure. why you wouldn't vote to convict. Sure. But the second trial. Yeah. No. No, like, you're doing it, like mental gymnastics at this point to say that yes. this guy is innocent. It kind of reminds me of the first case that we ever did. What was the name? What was the name of that case? Um, Nancy Howard. It was also, yeah, 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 yeah. So you know how he is like, there's photographs of him right. and like he's paying all this money and, and there's like actual trails. But that case was more recent and that case right. wasn't moved to a conservative city. Right. And they weren't super rich and famous. And they found him guilty because there was freaking yes. evidence. Like, you know, he was on tape. He There were photographs of him. It just blows my mind that there were four people in this second trial with the recordings. And like in the documentary, they they show the recording. They show the pictures of the judge that they had like, they had shoved the judge into the back right. of the trunk with ketchup packets looking like blood. He really does look dead. Like he really does. Yeah, the picture actually does. Yeah. And like, how, 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 how? I, it makes I me can't. Mad. I would like to think that this trial would have gone differently if this happened now, but I don't know, honestly. I think it really depends on, like, if we're still talking about someone that is that wealthy right. and that famous. And I think it would be different now if it took place in a bigger city. Yeah, I think the location really did skew the case. I think that <laughs> the public opinion of Priscilla would be different now because like we said, she wasn't anything that's out of the ordinary for modern times, right? But 
people still get threatened by a confident woman. For sure. And we do still victim blame and... Of course. Oh, yeah. Know, oh, yeah. All of this. But I like to think that she would be more perceived as a grieving mother. Yes. And not just a sex symbol now. Yes. Although, yes. I, I mean, I'm not sure. I just don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I would hope that if this trial and this case took place now, that Andrea would get justice. Yeah. Well, it's really sad that she didn't and never will. And that I think is the most yeah. heartbreaking thing is that he yeah. just got to live out his life. And he's still alive. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's like, why? Why do these people like these heartless, cold people live for so long when like Priscilla didn't even make it to 60? Yeah. You know, it's sad. Just sad. I, do, I feel really bad, obviously, for Andrea, but also for Priscilla. I don't think that she deserved... The way that she was treated, and I don't think that she ever got to mourn the case the right way. To, yeah. You know, it, it's just sad. And that is the story of how Cullen Davis probably got away with murder. Yeah. Let's, yeah. you know, that's all we can say. Now it's time for self-care and prepare. So my self-care tip today is a little bit different. And I think maybe it's just because I'm like nearing my third trimester of pregnancy and I'm like being introspective of what it actually means to take care of yourself. Sure. But, you know, I think that sometimes we have a lot of fun talking about self-care stuff oh, here. Yeah. We talk about massages and we talk about, you know, sleep masks and yeah, products, you know, products and, and, yeah, and kind yeah, of like yeah. fun sort of like froofy stuff that makes us feel good. Yeah, and, like and treat yourself stuff. I love yes. that. But I do think it's important that we remind everybody that self-care doesn't always look like that. No. Like sometimes self-care is just actually taking care of yourself, whether that's Yep. Eating properly, taking a, shower. taking a shower, you know, getting sleep, being aware of your own mental health and going outside, going on a walk, sure. like so even, you know, crying it out or whatever you, whatever need, to do, you like, need to do. So my yeah. self-care tip is just to be more realistic about what self-care means, because especially as like a busy pregnant mom, I know that sometimes I don't take care of myself at all. And then I just yeah. feel miserable. And I'm like, you know what? Like, yeah. I need to be paying attention to what I'm doing with my life and right. how I'm not taking right. care of myself. And you have to listen to your body and like your mental health and all of those things. And we can, you know, we can provide listeners with fun tools of like things to do to relax For and sure. have fun and, and stuff. And we'll, we'll still be doing it, that. Of course. It's of not course. like self-care is not going anywhere. We're going to still provide you with like no, the awesome products But it definitely love. like needs to come from... It's got to be intrinsic as well, Definitely. right? Like it's got to come from yourself. Yeah. And my prepare tip is domestic violence awareness. And we have talked about this before on the show several times, but I just really, if you're out there listening, it is not okay for someone to hit you ever. Yeah. And I think in this particular case, the domestic violence also gets overlooked and lost. Yeah. And it's not okay. No. Like, you know, so just take care of yourself, know the signs and seek help if you need it because yep. nobody deserves that. And look out for your people, you know, like... For sure. Look out for your people and always be someone that, you know, people feel comfortable 
talking with and be open and, you know, be help, you know, be helpful if somebody comes to you in that situation. Exactly. Okay, suckers, we'll leave it here for today. Tune in with us next week to hear another tale of true crime. Until then, self-care for the best, prepare for the worst, but most importantly, take care of yourself. We'll catch you next time on Bath and Body Parts. Bye! Bye. Body Parts merch, snag your shirts, mugs, fanny packs, towels, and more at bathandbodypartspodcast.com slash merch. If you'd like to support the show and get access to VIP perks like ad-free content, early access to episodes, and extra episodes each month, along with special segments and exclusive merch, including the Bath and Body Parts Bath Bomb, you can become a soaker, super soaker, or bath bomber on our Patreon. Just visit patreon.com slash bathandbodyparts to get started.